the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 155 of Magic Markets. Mo literally asked me a second ago, what stock am I doing this week? And the answer is, well, a few of them, actually. I'm kind of doing South African apparel retail, I suppose. It's just a nice time of year to look at that. And in reality, Mo, that's because you've chosen a great stock, which kind of inspired our choice here. And that is Lululemon, something we've covered before in Magic Markets Premium. Indeed, Ghost. Yeah, so yeah, a bit of a cheat day in that you're giving away what, what I'd said uh, uh, off, off air. Glad to see you're covering an assortment of stocks down in South Africa. As you mentioned, I'm covering Lululemon. Now, Lululemon is a stock that we've covered, as you mentioned, in Magic Markets Premium. It, I don't know if you get Lululemon down in South Africa. Do you, do you actually see Lululemon as a brand down in South Africa yet? No. No, we did have this like fancy yoga brand called Norma jane or something i'm gonna get that horribly wrong i think it's lorna lorna jane look i don't look great in yoga (laughs) pants so forgive me but i don't think we get lululemon now so 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 lorna jane's a a great example i'm familiar with that brand i think it's an australian brand down in south africa really premium stuff now lululemon i guess would be a great comparative to that uh, but very much a brand that grew out of north america was very well uh, I guess, received in North America, in Canada, and in the US. And it's a brand that I know South African listeners are not necessarily uh, familiar with, but it is something that we've covered not just in our premium shows, but also in our free shows. So Ghost, if you're happy, I'm going to jump straight into Lululemon with just a little bit of background, a little bit of intro. And as you mentioned, it's a stock we covered. We covered it in April 2022. We then did a, a recap of this in our free show in September 2023, so roughly around a quarter ago. Now, by way of comparison, it is a stock that we've liked for some time. You know, it's a great business. It's a new, exciting brand. And it actually popped onto my radar because it was making significant waves up here in the market. Certainly during the pandemic, everyone was buying, you know, Lululemon yoga pants. Not everyone, but but certainly a large segment of the market. And, you know, back in September 2023, when we did last discuss this, I think we had bucketed Lululemon and Ulta Beauty. That's a stock that we just recently covered last week. So it was interesting because back in September, we did like both stocks, but I I remember mentioning that they'd both done well. Uh, I had preferred Lululemon over Alta Beauty over that time period. So this is a great time to actually just see, you know, was that the right call? And interestingly enough, over the last quarter there and thereabouts, Lululemon is actually up 14%, Alta Beauty 16%. So it was on a relative basis, probably the wrong call by around 2%. 
but an important point to really note here. And as I indicated, we covered Ulta in last week's free show. If you've missed that, go and check it out. Ulta Beauty was actually lagging Lululemon throughout these last few months until the last earnings release. And at that time, it was only up 2% over that time period. So this 14% additional return that you've seen has really just come through in the last week or so. I'm going to hang my hat on that. I'm going to say, yes, it was the right call until the last results, right? You're going to let me cheat on that one. Now, yeah, you can have it. You can have it. <laughs> the strong points with Lululemon back then is that it's a strong brand. It's new. It's fresh. And it was really built around this community-based marketing. And something interesting for us there was that the fact that some of its stores actually had yoga studios in the store. That was quite a novel concept. Uh, they'd done quite well over the pandemic with their e-commerce fulfillment and even post-pandemic in terms of pulling some of those people back into the stores. Now, I'm not going to go into the numbers quite yet. I think that's enough of a bit of a recap as a start-off point. In my following points, I'm going to discuss some numbers. I'm going to discuss some significant missteps as well. Uh, and, and you're going to know what I'm referring to there, but I don't want to steal the, th the thunder from my, my upcoming points. Ghost, I'm keen to see what you're covering down there. Yeah, so as usual, I like to give it more of a strategic view. I think our personalities actually come through quite well in the free show, and what we both focus on and combine it so well in the, you know, the premium show. But from my side, the South African market is actually rather small. And this makes it really hard for retailers to focus on a specific strategy. So I think one way in which the American companies beat the South African companies is they have this massive market to grow into. Even just being large in America makes you a huge business, never mind just the obvious expansion opportunities. Whereas in South Africa, your local retailers reach a certain size and then they need to start looking at other options. Those options are either an offshore acquisition, and historically that's been awful, or they're going to expand into other product categories, which can work a lot better. There are very few retailers who are willing to actually start something from scratch. So a little shout out to ShopRite there, because they are one of the few willing to do it. They have that new banner, Unique Clothing. I don't know if you've seen any of that, Mo. Looks a lot like Uniqlo overseas, which is definitely not by accident. I'm convinced of it. But they are starting a lot of stuff from scratch, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, just last week on this show, I noted this game's acquisition of Baby City to grow market share in that space. So there's an example of doing it by acquisition, not ground up, which is the more common route. It takes a long time to build a retailer ground up, and people just don't have the patience for that. So they go and buy something that exists already. But this week, we're looking at fashion retail, right? Lululemon is fashion retail. So there's not a lot of points in talking about grocery. And, you know, we did this game last week. So a great example would be something like Mr. Price acquiring Studio 88 as a fashion buyer. But again, because this is a small market, they also went and acquired Yuppie Chef a couple of years ago to really up their homeware business. That's a name you'll remember, I'm sure, Mo. The Fashini Group has also been on the acquisition trail. They recently bought Corycraft, another name you'll remember, which sells couches and furniture. So the point here is that apparel retailers in South Africa are rarely only doing apparel. You are far more likely to see them branching out into all kinds of other retail categories. Even the more focused ones like Truewoods are still selling other things within their stores and sometimes you'll see really odd stuff like Pepcor for example owning a DIY building group you know to be fair they would probably sell it if they could but this is the problem in South Africa you get these kind of conglomerate retailers makes it very hard to take a pure play view we certainly don't have something as focused as Lululemon for example 
I think that's great context. It's a great comparator because, I mean, literally Lululemon, if you were to summarize that into a product category, what are they famous for? Well, they're famous for yoga pants, as you've indicated, and then belt bags. You know, I've got a a young daughter and she was out there. I want to go and buy a Lululemon overpriced belt bag. You know, thankfully, I I spoke some sense into her. So not so good for Lululemon, but definitely good for for, for my my wallet. (laughs) Ghost, that's really the scale of the US market is just focusing on such a small sub niche and Lululemon has still grown into a brand that right now I can comfortably say you could put alongside the likes of a Nike. So, I mean, I know those are big words, and I'm going to get into some of that in my third point. But for my second point, I want to focus on some numbers. So in its latest results, and this was Q3, and I, I want to say the stock was initially down, but to, and, and this is fresh. It literally was released yesterday. The stock was initially down. Today, it's looking as though it's 2% higher. So let's see where the market settles on this one. But in aggregate, a strong third quarter demand coming through there and what the company calls a positive start to the holiday shopping season. But again, if we look at what that means, earnings per share, that was a slight beat. It was at $2.53 versus $2.28. Revenue, also a slight, and I'm going to use this word, it's a slight beat at $2.2 billion versus $2.19 billion. I mean, that, that is really a slight beat. And it's, I would call that more or less in line with the market's expectations. On a net income level, uh, for example, you know, they're the company actually reported net income that came through at $1.96 a share, and we can compare that to $2 per share a year earlier. So you can see in aggregate an acceptable kind of performance. The market was very bulled up on this stock. And during the quarter, sales in North America, that jumped 12%, but it jumped 49% internationally. Now, the reason for this is because, as I've indicated, Lululemon was a very strong brand. It grew in North America. They established quite a bit of dominance in their niche, and it's now facing its international expansion leg. I mean, the fact that it hasn't found its way into South Africa is testament to the fact that there are many markets globally where Lululemon hasn't even come to the party. It hasn't even tapped that market yet. And again, that gives them some sort of runway for growth. But the important point here is despite meeting the market's expectations there and thereabouts, the guidance going forward, and this would now be for Q4, and that includes this holiday period, the market's seeing that as a little bit light. So the company's saying they're expecting sales to be between $3.14 billion and $3.17 billion. That's the guidance that they've issued. But that, that actually disappointed the market, which was above the upper end of that guidance. And it also expects earnings very much at the lower end of previous guidance. So on that aggregate view, you know, the cadence, that's a, a word you love using, Ghost. The cadence, they're starting to look as though it's running into some headwinds. And, you know, it is concerning. I want to stress one last point in this number section. And that is if we have a look at direct-to-consumer sales. Because remember, this in Lululemon's case includes e-commerce, but it also includes the fact that Lululemon owns its own stores. So it is very much that it's direct-to-consumer. Those sales spiking 18%. And this is where it outperformed the market's expectations, the market expecting 16.9%. So Lululemon showing you that it's doing what it does really well under its own banner and that potentially not getting the same kind of growth out of agreements that it has with other retailers that might stock its products. So I've already highlighted the challenge for South African retailers to be pure play on specific categories or strategies. And there's another lens through which we can look at that, which I'll get to now. And and look, there are some pure players like Lewis, for example, but the growth strategy at Lewis has been very much based on share buybacks and great capital allocation maturity because the furniture game in South Africa is not a fun place at all. Lewis just trades at an incredibly low valuation and they do share buybacks all the time. And that's what's helped them out. So 
The other issue with these mixed sort of groups is not only is it really tough to get apparel or to get homeware or whatever the case may be, it's also really hard to actually find one that is specifically a value play or a premium play or a discretionary play. Again, it's just this hodgepodge of stuff. So Lululemon gives you this fantastic pure play on upmarket athleisure. That's what's so cool with the US market. You know, that is a very precise view. It's so specific. Meanwhile, Mr. Price is this mosaic of cheap fashion and now more upmarket stuff with the acquisition of Studio 88. Then they have Mr. Price Home, which is more of a basic homeware brand. But then they also have Yuppie Chef, which is objectively way more upmarket, I think more so even than Studio 88. So it makes it really difficult for investors to figure out what they are actually buying. And, you know, just taking a little sidestep there to the food retailers, I talked about ShopRite getting into all sorts of different things at the moment, but Pick and Pay owns Pick and Pay Clothing, which is objectively a really good business that is practically begging for an unbundling from the broken grocery retail story. Now, people would love to invest, I think, in Pick and Pay Clothing, but they can't get to it. They have to buy the whole of Pick and Pay. They might want to just invest in Mr. Price's upmarket business or just its value brands, but again, not possible. So because liquidity on the JSC is an issue, there's actually very little incentive for these retailers to rather break themselves up into their component parts and let investors take a view on specific pieces. Instead, they operate diverse groups with a central balance sheet, hoping for the benefits of scale to actually carry them through. And To be honest, it talks to kind of a failing of the local market, actually, because in a very vibrant capital market, there would be incentive for pick and pay to go and unbundle pick and pay clothing. For example, there would be incentive for Mr. Price to break itself in two or whatever the case may be, or the Fashini group. Instead, because there's just not enough liquidity, they all kind of hoard their capital, make these acquisitions and create these conglomerates, which don't really trade at great valuations as a result. It's like a structural problem. I'm smiling. And, and the reason I'm smiling is, is I love that because we don't script these shows. So I don't know what you're going to talk about, but it's, it's just this contrast in this week's show, right? Is that in, in, in South Africa, the market's too small. So you end up with this hodgepodge and the conglomerate type structure. Uh, and in the US, it's, it's almost the opposite problem, right? The market's so large that it gives this abundance of capital to players like Lululemon to go and do really, and I'm going to say it, really stupid stuff right? So I've reserved the best for last because I know you're going to chuckle at this ghost. It's something that we mentioned in our premium show when we covered this back in April 2022. And that is Lululemon's acquisition of a company called Mirror. Now, I can see you smiling, right? Mirror was, again, at the height. And I'm, I'm at the height of pandemic madness, there was the likes of Peloton. So what is Mirror? What does Mirror actually do? Mirror was this fancy digital mirror that allowed you to live stream workout sessions and your yoga sessions. And Lululemon went out and bought this company for an exorbitant amount of money. Now, the reason I raise this in my third point is that they've just incurred a 72.1 million impairment, that's dollars, impairment charge related to Mirror. And it acquired this company at $500 million back in uh, the, the pandemic. And it's now winding the company down. I mean, we said, this is a bad idea. Why do you want to do this? And I just want to add, it's $72 million now, but this adds to an impairment of $443 million that they had already incurred and was reported earlier this year for the equipment. So this business has basically been written off. It's been wound down. And Lululemon now actually has a, a partnership with its former rival, Peloton. I've mentioned it, in that Lululemon will no longer sell their mirror device or produce studio content for its studio app, but instead 
Peloton will now provide all of the content for Lululemon's app, and in turn, in turn, Lululemon will become Peloton's retailer, or let's call it its strategic primary athletic apparel partner. That's the official wording that's out there. So again, a series of missteps. You get lots of capital, you get lots of hype, and companies like Lululemon at the time riding this high, the market very excited about it. That was a strategic misstep. It's now cost shareholders hundreds of millions of dollars, and finally, they're shutting that thing down. I want to wrap on a couple of numbers, Ghost. I always like looking at how these companies have performed, and Lululemon has been stellar. So on a year-to-date basis, up 42%. Over a one-year basis, less fantastic. It's 25%, and that's because we did see a little bit of a wobbly, you know, but if we look at the decline that we saw in March this year, it is up 58% from those lows. Now, we know no one picks bottoms and tops this well, but 58%, that is an absolutely stellar recovery. And I want to stress that back in March, when we had that wobbly, the stock went and tested the 200-week moving average. So very much in line with our technical analysis that we had covered in previous reports. Now, on Lululemon, you've, you've got to rely entirely on the share price performance. There's no dividend that comes through there. I've mentioned a brand like Nike. So let's look at how Nike's done. Ghost, do you want to hazard a guess? What's Nike's performance over the year to date to over the last year? Just give me a guess. Oh, at one point it came off pretty hard from the valuation in the pandemic, but I don't know what the recent performance looks like. So shocking. I mean, I, I indicated how year to date Lululemon up 42%. Nike, big brand, down 3%. You mm. know, over one year, not fantastic, up 7% versus Lululemon at 25%. Now, Nike does pay you a dividend yield of 1.3%. That's on current levels. But let's take a longer term lens. Over five years, would you say Nike or Lululemon outperformed? I mean, it's, it's a cheat question. I'm not going to let you answer that. It's obviously Lululemon in this, in this respect. Nike up 58%. Lululemon, wait for it, 311%. So this just shows you how a brand went from pretty much nothing, being quite obscure to being quite ubiquitous up here. It's very popular, certainly popular with the yoga groups out there. You know, very expensive athleisure. When they say athleisure wear, it's luxury athleisure wear. But I would argue it's probably run too hard right now. I wouldn't chase it at these kind of levels. And looking at Nike as well, is that an alternative for me? It's currently below its 200-week moving average. It's had a terrible time. It's now testing whether it should be going into a bear trend. So I'd probably stay out of Nike at this stage as well. Yeah, it's very much the joy of picking tomorrow's winner, actually, you know, as opposed to buying the existing company that everyone knows. So I think last point from my side is just give an idea of some of the metrics that you can use when you're looking at clothing retailers in South Africa. So the first point is you need to understand what you're actually looking at, because as I've been trying to stress on this podcast, it's not simple. You know, these things have got some surprises for you in terms of what they actually own. So what is in there? That's step one of do your own research. And also, where are they? Most of these retailers have got offshore businesses like Fashini Group, for example. Some of them have offshore businesses in exotic places like Pepco owning Avenida in Brazil, which is actually a deal I like. Then you need to think about whether they are growing or they shrink in their floor space. Both can be good strategies because when a retail model is working, give it more space. When it isn't, shrink it down and find something that works. And that's what Woolworths did very well recently by reducing their space in fashion, beauty, and home, thereby enhancing trading density and actually getting that business to recover quite nicely. Now that's going to come through when you look at like-for-like like growth versus total growth. You'll see that space impact. You also need to look at gross margins, recognizing that acquisitions of new businesses at structurally different gross margins can have quite a big mix effect on the numbers. We're seeing that play out at Mr. Price at the moment because Studio 88's margins are very different to the rest of the group. 
Now that makes it a lot harder to understand how the core margins are performing. Sometimes you'll get great disclosure that explains it, other times you won't. In apparel, you're looking for much bigger gross margins than you will ever see in grocery, by the way. So don't be shocked when you see very big margins there if you're used to looking at grocery, for example. Operating margin is also really important, of course, because it shows you how store-level costs are being managed, as well as head office costs. Net finance costs, those, of course, tell you all about the balance sheet and how much debt it has. But perhaps one more thing to consider is the types of revenue growth. So this would be, for example, online versus bricks and mortar. That's one way of looking at it. And what that might mean for the size of the footprint versus the related capex. Are they investing more in stores? Because that would talk more to in-person fulfillment. That's your in-person sales. Or are they investing into DCs, distribution centers? That talks more to online. And the other revenue split is cash versus credit sales. And this one is really important in South Africa where consumers are usually in trouble. This gives you a very good idea of where the revenue growth is coming from and whether or not it is a good quality result. The dream, of course, is high cash sales growth because then you're not even taking credit risk and the toll is still ringing. But in South Africa, that is really, really hard. Credit sales sometimes are the only way to actually go and drive growth. So these are some of the metrics that you can use to look at these South African retailers. But when you're doing your own research in this space, just go and dig properly into what these retailers actually own. Don't make the mistake of thinking you walk past a store today, you recognize the name, that name is listed, hence that must be all it owns. You will really, really hurt yourself investing like that. Yeah, Ghost, I've really enjoyed the show because it's it's been almost a tale of two cities. You know, the retail sector up in North America and globally somewhat different to the retail sector down in South Africa. Some of the metrics you mentioned. So for example, you know, looking at what's happening with store space versus online. You know, those are metrics you can obviously use when you do your own research on global stocks as well. Uh, but again, I guess that's where we've got to leave it this week. We hope you've enjoyed this look at two very distinct, very different industries, albeit related at a headline level. Uh, certainly from a Lululemon perspective, we hope you've enjoyed the journey with us. Again, if you're a Magic Markets premium subscriber, you would have heard about the story a lot earlier. Uh, if you've been following us closely on the free shows, you will have seen the kind of the good performance over the last quarter. And again, in this show, maybe a flag of caution just based on where that share price has gone. This again highlights, I guess, the, the high frequency type of approach to do bottoms up, detailed research and we hope you've enjoyed it but again let us know what you what you think about the show hit us up on social media it's at magic markets pod one word at finance ghost and at mohammed nala all on x or go and find us on linkedin and pop us a note on there and until next week same time same place thanks and cheers ciao we thank our sponsor b2it for making this show possible b2it is all about making life easier one robot at a time if you hate it automate it Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.